Blog Talk Hello. Radio. Hello, listeners. This is Voices of the War, Val. Uh, we're coming to you live, and we're bringing you uh, a program dedicated to the prisoners of the war on drugs. Uh, my co-host, uh, Christian, my name is Eugene Fisher. My co-host, uh, Christian Floor, uh, is not able to, to be with us today, but we have our, our other member of the team, Mindy Griffith, who's co-hosting with me today. And we're gonna, we have a good show prepared for you. We're going to bring have a guest coming on, uh, Jeanette Perez of CCHI, and she's going to talk about an initiative a state initiative in California that they're doing, and educate us on that. And um, our normal guest we have, Craig Cecil, who comes to us every week from federal prison, is unable to to come on today, so his spot won't be there. But Georgie Maturano is going to be on with his with George's corner, and Mindy has a special guest, a Joy, who's going to talk about. She's She's a Native American being being uh, prosecuted for her involvement in, in marijuana, and we're going to bring her on, and it's going to be a good show. Uh, yes, it is. Mindy, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, hi, I'm Mindy Griffiths. Um, uh here with uh, the Voices of the Cannabis War. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Yes, Mindy, Mindy is with us every week. She's We form a team. Uh, there's three of us. Uh, Christian, myself, and Mindy, and Mindy is the one who coordinates everything in the background. And um, uh, we have we have another lady uh, who's supposed to be helping us this week, Becca, on that. Uh, Christian has uh, uh, been able to attend today. It's the first time in a couple of years she hasn't been on, and and I think it's a well deserved day off, even though she's doing a lot of personal stuff. Um, I want to make this point. We're all we're all, we're all volunteers doing this because we believe. We believe so much in this cause, and uh, we work at it constantly. All three of us in different ways. Uh, Mindy, for example, is one of the most active people I know in, in communicating with prisoners. She has a regular ministry going where she has. Uh, how many how many prisoners do you communicate with, Mindy? Oh, I'm not. I'm not even sure. Um, at least twenty. Do you hear that? Twenty listeners. Twenty. If everyone would do that, the prisoners wouldn't be as alone as they are while they're incarcerated. What do you do? You write letters and you emails and so on, Mindy. Right, core links and, and letters, and and I do uh, communicate on the phone with a few. Um, I. I think that maybe having 20 pen pals is a little bit much. It's easier to focus and keep track of, of a smaller number, I think, for most people. But um, I I enjoy my communication with every one of them and wouldn't change a thing for myself. But it's that's a lot of I, – I was put in a newsletter as a pen pal that went out to all the prisons in the country – so I got a lot of responses from that. And so you don't have to write to that many people, but I do think that uh, writing to prisoners is uh, incredibly rewarding. 
That, uh, listeners, that is a uh, some testimonial. She's a wonderful woman, and uh, I know from being an ex-prisoner, that means so much to receive communications from someone on the outside. And uh, God bless you. That's a wonderful thing you do, Mindy. Uh, I know, I know you feel you're enriched by it, but I'm telling you, I know the know the people on the other side of the wall, and how much how much that means to them. So uh, it, it's really appreciated. Uh, well, I'm we're waiting on. Okay. <laughs> uh, this this lady, for all our listeners, she has such a big heart. Uh, we've become very close in our program and working together. And I got to tell you, this lady is all heart. She really has, uh, does the right thing all the way around, including, including with her animals. She has a menage of animals in her house. <laughs> and just everything about her is positive. Uh, I can say the same about, about our, our, my co-host Christian floor. She's the same way. These are dedicated people. And we're, we're, the difference that you can make in ending this absurd war on drugs is just by giving that effort. Now, as Mindy says, maybe you can't handle 20 people like she does, but even one. And giving giving money to someone like Stephanie Lander, who puts it into the, on the books of prisoners, uh, trying to get prisoners out. We're working on trying to free different guys uh, that are incarcerated and just bringing the voice the voice of people uh we've we've had people just released from prison who come on our show we have people behind the walls behind being incarcerated who call in uh, it's it's an expression of the the whole absurdity of this thing of this this war on drugs especially war on marijuana uh, and that's our Absolutely. whole purpose. Speaking of speaking of that, uh, one of our uh, sponsors for our show, CCHI, uh, they're working really hard at trying to end the war there in California. And it looks to me, Eugene, like Jeanette is um, on and ready to uh, start with our interview. Okay, let's bring her on. All Good right, morning, I'll do Jeanette. That. Good morning, Eugene and Mindy. Good morning. So good to have you. Listen, Thank you so much for Jeanette, having me. This is Jeanette Perez coming on. And what is your position in CCHI, Jeanette? Um, yes, I um, I started off with CCHI in 2011 as a volunteer circulating, and uh, for this campaign, I became uh, more organized and am helping organize the volunteers statewide. So I'm assisting our statewide coordinator, Buddy Doozy, in making sure that we are all connected and in communication. And uh, it's really, really exciting. Uh, If I had a title, I suppose it would be the executive secretary. And um, so, yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, we have some questions, Jeanette. If we could start out... uh, uh, your focus is is um, um, ending this uh, absurd war on marijuana, correct? Absolutely, Eugene. Um, our goal is uh, to end prohibition here in California and re-legalize. Um, our intention with the word re-legalize is very purposeful. Um, we don't uh, say we're legalizing because we want to help uh, stir in the memories of everyone 
that it was once legal. Um, cannabis hemp was once legal. And so we say that we are the re-legalization movement of cannabis hemp here in California. Give us a little background. When you say it was legal at one time, give us a little background and and, and, and what you mean. Well, I mean, it was, it was legal in every uh, sense uh, to the peoples of the world. I mean, we have a rich history of peoples across continents cultivating and using both hemp and or cannabis if we're going to I'm just going to use cannabis and hemp as a distinction for for today and um and so we have a very rich history um there's resources available for people to tap into that one of the the good ones is um a fairly uh, easy read is Jack Hare's The Emperor Wears No Clothes and uh so so yeah, we we had a whole production of hemp here in California across the, the the Republic of the United States and and elsewhere. And somehow along our what we consider modern history, I suppose we we began losing that and forgetting that it was such a valuable uh, staple for our our people for the people. Well, you say that, uh, Jeanette, just to give the listeners a uh, an historic. Uh, time frame on this uh when when was when was it legal like in world war ii can you tell us uh what what happened uh, with hemp in world war ii yes so hemp during world war ii um the federal government encouraged farmers to begin growing hemp and uh to help assist in the war effort we needed materials uh for various things um, mainly army army clothes, army bags, you know things that our military needed at the time, and the U.S. government required many farmers to start growing hemp so that we could use it for the war effort. And if I'm missing something, please <laughs> please uh, please add to that. But that's the gist of it. And uh, and so it actually, because it was so recent in our history, resurfaced. And um, and a lot of people started saying, hey, wait a minute, we used to grow this. Hey, wait a minute, there was a hemp field on uh, the circulation of one of the $10 bills of harvesting hemp. It's a, it's a pretty famous image that, that gets passed around the, um, the net because it reminds, in particular, Americans about our history in the growing and cultivating of hemp. So you're, you're saying... Uh, for our listeners, you're telling them that uh, as recent as World War II, when I say recent, obviously it was it was in the 40s, but back then you're saying that hemp was actually uh, promoted by the U.S. government and farmers were growing it for the war effort. And what were they what were they using it in? Uh, some of the uses of it uh, for the war. Do you know? Uh, can you tell us that, Jeanette? Um, I actually don't know the details of that, Eugene. I know uh, many of that stuff went into the canvases, uh, again, of the, uh, if you go to army surplus stores and you look at uh, the gear that was made for World War II fighters, it's likely that that particular canvas is hemp as opposed to the other uh I mean, they were cotton for canvas or whatever other uh, alphabet they use. So that's one of them. If I'm missing something, exact uh, again, please uh, help fill in. But 
from my understanding that that was part of the effort it wasn't so much for eating which is one of our um our goals in reminding people with this initiative that the production of hemp is not just for uh, a fiber and it's not just for fuel, but it's also a very important food source that um, we have lacked. And when I say we, I'm talking the people of the world have lacked for quite a bit of time. So, um, I don't think that the the gov the U.S. Army or the federal government was using it as a food source. I was uh, I I suppose they were using it again more for materials. And um, but what we're looking to bring back is the reminder that um, as as many people have become becoming more educated, especially in the cannabis community, um, about the endocannabinoid system and how um, although we don't have a lot of research. Uh, particularly addressing endocannabinoid deficiency, that word has been used more often now to maybe explain some of the imbalances that we have um, in a society lacking such a, a, a an essential, um, uh, what would we call it? an essential, well, it's an essential fatty acid, to be clear, such, you know, for our bodies. So, so it's all around. It's all around. It can be used okay. for fuel, I think, I think, food, fiber. I think you're, you're educating us well. Uh, in other words, it's a multifaceted uh, uh, plant that can do so many things. If I'm not mistaken, Jeanette, it was even used in synthetic uh, uh, rubber production uh, during World War II, uh, which uh, was very important to, to producing uh, tires and things for the Army. Um, it, Jeanette, I, I, the listeners would love to hear a little more about your initiative. Uh, exactly what is your? I know you're doing it on the state level. Uh, could you give us an idea of of your focus philosophically? What what you're attempting to do and how it can affect our movement, uh, not just in California but nationally and so on. Yes, Eugene. Um, well, um, as the listeners may or may not know, uh, in our Republic of the United States, we uh, only have 11 states in the Republic that have the People's Initiative process. And when we talk about representative democracy, I would argue that those 11 states are the closest to um, our system of a representative democracy. And um, and so here in California, we're pretty famous for exercising that right here in the state. Very uh, contentious at times when particular uh, initiatives make it on the ballot and, and are presented to the people to vote yes or no. And so here in California, again, um, uh, uh, being uh, rooted in this history, um, this particular initiative, the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative, it's it's changed its name slightly throughout its inception in the early 90s, California Hemp Initiative, California uh, Cannabis Hemp and Health Initiative. So it's varied, but it's pretty much the same. And uh, it's rooted in the efforts of many activists in the early 90s, which include Jack Hare, Dennis Perrone, Chris Conrad, Tom McCormick, of course, Captain Ed, Ed Hare. So all these individuals um, contributing to a piece of legislation 
that would provide the people of California uh, the ability to grow cannabis hemp um, as we used to in the past. And uh, and so uh, there's different focuses. Um, one of the main focuses in terms of uh, of the initiative process here for us, it's um, is it's it to us it's a state issue and so if we if we separate the issue being cannabis and hemp um and just focus on the fact that the states within the the republic have certain uh responsibilities and uh issues allocated for them the states to decide how they're going to lean on a particular issue um and so again, here in California, we are exercising that right again and reminding not just the federal government, but the rest of the do have states' rights within our initiative, thanks to the work of uh, the late Richard Marvin Davis, um, includes now the Ninth and Tenth Amendment of the federal constitution. And so we're making it known to everyone that we're serious about this, that this is a state issue, it's a state's rights issue, and and we're and we're taking it there. So if if and when we get on the ballot, if and when we get passed, the people say yes, then now judges are forced to actually look at the document uh that they uh took an oath to defend and uphold, which is the federal constitution of the United States. Uh oh Jeanette, uh I'd like to just stay on that a moment if we could, because it's really interesting, and I'm sure our listeners are fascinated. You, you mentioned representative democracy, and you're talking about bringing issues on the ballot, in other words, people's issues. And we, as we all know, uh, a great majority of Americans, probably over 60%, support ending marijuana prohibition. But we haven't been able to get it in all states, and there's still so much. Uh, the politicians are playing such a game. Can you tell us a little bit more specifically? Uh, do you do petitions? How are you doing the? How do you get the people's voice expressed? And and uh, what 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 is the process? Absolutely, yes, Eugene. Um, yes, we are currently cleared for circulation. We are halfway through um, the process of collecting the required signatures to qualify to get on the ballot. So, indeed, an initiative process, um, uh, the people of a particular initiative will petition the people of California. These are qualified, I'm sorry, they are registered voters in the state, and um, we get their, their beautiful signature, and if it's valid, it counts towards a valid signature for the goal that we have of, just under 400,000 valid signatures to qualify for the ballot. So, yes, we are very active right now throughout the state, volunteers up and down and across the state of California collecting signatures, and these are all volunteers. So we are an all-volunteer grassroots uh, movement, a campaign. So you're you're going out and getting something a little short of 400,000 signatures to put on the ballot a, a specific uh, initiative, what exactly uh, are, would they be voting on? What would what would the initiative be? Indeed. 
So this is a very simple initiative um, and reading compared to some of the other uh, initiatives that have submitted to the state attorney and who have also been cleared for circulation. Um, one of the advantages that we have, the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative, is that it's very short. Uh, it's two pages. It uh, fits on one uh, legal size page. It's very readable, so anyone can read it. You don't have to understand legalese to to understand what the law is saying, the potential law, the proposed law. And so let me quickly run down the highlights of it. Um, it allows for and it opens up the market for recreational use, uh, possession and production of cannabis and or hemp or a combination thereof. Um, it opens up the door to hemp-based industries. So 50% of the excise tax that's collected is allocated towards research and development of the hemp industry so that California can begin to catch up to some of the other countries around the world that have opened up um, to hemp earlier, or I should say reopened their economies to hemp, which includes Germany, Australia, Canada, China. Uh, um, those are the most uh, significant countries right now in hemp production. Um, it maintains no tax on medical cannabis. So unlike a lot of these other uh, uh, proposed um, legislations or initiatives, uh, we maintain under Prop 215 no tax on medical cannabis. Um, it, caps, it caps the excise tax for uh, commercial sales at 10%, so it cannot go above 10%. Um, it protects physicians. Um, so that they can recommend and improve medical cannabis for medical patients of all ages without any negative repercussions. Um, as we mentioned earlier, it challenges um, federal prohibition, and we assert our state constitutional rights uh, here in California. Um, it, this is what's relevant to this particular show, is it frees all nonviolent cannabis offenders in the state and allows for the removal or expungement or clearing of their records. So um, I think there's some technical terms there. I believe with expun an expungion, uh, expulsion still, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, um, it, it will still show a record. So this uh, wording permits for the p complete clearing of any record of any, again, cannabis offense so that people who were in jail for this unjust, uh, uh, unjustly can go back to work and they don't have to fear when they fill out job applications where that little checkbox where it says, were you convicted of a felony? They don't have to fear checking that box off. You know, that's a lot of a stressful, for, uh, it's very stressful for people um, who I'm, I'm sure come out of, the system, the prison system, and then are, you know, in a position where now, even though they serve their time, they it's still sitting on their shoulder. Um, and so that really clears, this is, again, very groundbreaking. There's no other initiative, uh, cannabis initiative here in the state that does that. And when people say, oh, that's too radical, that's, that's just people aren't going to go for that. Well, actually, the people of California did go for that. In, two, in 2014, the people voted uh, prop, uh, for prop, yes, on Prop 47, which basically um, has released a lot of 
people in California prisons that committed misdemeanors and who, you know, they're going through this process of of clearing clearing them out because it's well we have a, a huge problem in California prison system, huge population problem, and uh, and so people here in the state are saying, yeah, it's not just to to be putting people in jail, you know, when it's uh, you know no 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 victim, no crime, right? These are some of the things that the cannabis community shares and likes to uh, educate others about. So, um, and uh, that, I mean, that's the gist of it. That's the gist of our initiative. Uh, Jeanette, if, if, if I can, uh, what I'm hearing you say, and so our listeners can focus on it is that the citizens of a state can take up, an initiative like this and begin to change, it will have the effect of even going further and, and, and affecting federal law eventually. I can see it probably will end up in the courts, but I can see that uh, what you're saying is it would be, it would be uh, for example, expunging uh, the record of a, a person convicted of a marijuana charge, whether it was federal or state, if this initiative were to pass in California, uh, would change that that uh, record so that the person wouldn't have to worry when applying for jobs. That would be a wonderful thing. As an ex-convict myself, I know that would be a wonderful thing to happen. So you're really saying uh, that the citizens can take the initiative that eventually have a repercussion on on the whole country and and other states can follow. Is that is that kind of what what you're saying? Absolutely. That is my that is my motto. Um it's it's sort of the the trend, the West Coast trend of of think global, act local. Um this is our local hometown of California even though it's a, it's a very big state. Um we definitely know that we can set the example here. I mean, California set the example for what medical looks like around the world. Again, the re reemergence of medical marijuana started in the 90s because the people of California voted on medical marijuana and no one even knew what medical marijuana was. It was a new creation through the state initiative process. And uh and it became a worldwide phenomenon. Here we are. And so yeah, absolutely. It is challenging um, again, going back to government and how we established uh, our system here as a as a republic, and um, just reminding people. I mean, I'm an educator, so I say it as often as pop as possible that technically we are we are a republic. We are a republic of states that have have come together under uh, a federal government, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that. Uh, we don't exercise our state's rights. So um, so definitely we, we want to set the example here in California. We definitely believe that if we can set the right example, that just like medical and 215, the world will look to California and follow. We have a, 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 a high uh, threshold to create and a, a huge industry to protect because it's brand new. And when I say a huge industry, it, it includes medical, which is already uh, developed here in California, is still under development, and this industrial hemp industry that no one really has access to. Even even the states that are growing 
hemp, for example, they have restrictions on the amount of THC in the hemp, which then affects whether these these individuals can harvest their plants. So I think in Oregon, they just burned down a hemp field because they had like 0.04 THC or something ridiculous like that. And so that's just so unfortunate that um, that it's this hyper-regulation for a market that, again, used to used to thrive, not just here, but worldwide. So, you know, we question those things. And here in California, because we have the initiative process, not, not every state is as fortunate as California and the other 10 that have this process, but because we do, um, we want to set it right. The question is not when, it is how. So people are constantly saying to us, oh, yeah, it's just a matter of time. Oh, yeah, it's just a matter of time. And it's like we know it's a matter of time. So we're we're not debating that. It's, it's how the legalization is going to look, not when. It's how. And we're very, very um, conscientiously going forward so that we maintain this in the hands of the people. What And what that means is that, and I didn't mention this when I was reading off the points, but everyone here in the state is entitled, without licensing or permits, entitled to grow under 99 plants, under the federal limit. With that. And that's that's not medical. That's just recreational. And so, um, again, it, it throws a kink in the plans of maybe people who have an idea that that they're going to control the market or maybe people who have the idea that only they and their friends can control the market and then the rest of the people of California are just going to be happy that they could go buy it from them. Um, And so those of us who are a little bit more, um, again, conscientious of what is really at stake here know that we have the ability, we the people have the ability to become entrepreneurs, to become business owners, to uh, be able to heal and sustain our families with this, with this, uh, what you know is being called the trillion-dollar cash crop, industrial hemp. Well, uh, Jeanette, I think an obvious question that our listeners would have, which I have for this wonderful initiative that you're describing, is how do I participate? How do I? What what is available? How do I sign up on that for that petition? Give us some give us some specifics so that our listeners know what they can do. Yes, yes, Eugene. What you can do if you are a uh, California registered voter, or if you're eligible to register to vote, or if you're going to be eligible to vote by November eighth, twenty sixteen, we encourage you to go. Pardon me, to go to our website, which is cchi2016.org and um, you can scroll down the page there's uh, a link there that says places to sign you can click on the link and there's statewide Um, we're still recruiting places to carry the initiative and we also have volunteers that you can find throughout the state and contact them if you can't make it to one of the locations or maybe one of the locations is too far out from you Um, Please go on the website, find someone near you, um, and give them a call. And if you can't find them, give someone else a call, and uh, and we'll connect you to where you can sign the initiative. Please repeat the website for our listeners. Please repeat. Yes, yes, it is C C H I 
2016.org. Okay, listeners, get on get on your computers and pull that up, and that'll start the process. Uh, Jeanette, uh, my co-host, uh, Mindy Griffith, I think has a few questions. Mindy, would you like to ask Jeanette some things? Well, you know, Jeanette, you covered all my questions, but I did want to say as an Oregonian, um, you know, I I heard about those hemp fields being burned and um, – and I've seen what we call legalization up here, and I'm really hoping that um, some people in Oregon pay attention to what you guys are doing down there because we really mess things up with our Measure 91. And um, so I'm real excited to see that you guys are leading the way again there in California. Thank you, Mindy. And, and you know, honestly, we, we also have California does, you know, in, in politics, we're finding that uh, – one of the strong points for our initiative, our particular initiative that highlights us as opposed to the other ones who are also contending to get on the ballot is now the experiences, uh, what people are experiencing in Colorado and Washington. And it's really um, opened the eyes of uh, the California weed world, both both you know cannabis, medical, and hemp, and um, it, it's unfortunate for for you all in California, but you know that's one of our our talking points. You know, and we're like we don't want you know we don't want it to look like it looks like in Colorado and, and in Oregon, and, and people are like no no no, and I'm like yeah thank you exactly, and so it's unfortunate um, um, that those things happen at the same time for California. What it means for California is that. All the things that that at least people who represented this initiative and who want to see this um, get on the ballot and get passed is um, it has helped us it sort of you know you know hind, you know in hindsight now we can see some of the pitfalls in the the wording of of the legislation that was that were passed in Colorado and Washington so um, so yeah I'm sorry and thank you if that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Jeanette, uh, I just want to thank you very much for coming on, taking your time to come on our program and for the work you're doing and uh, in your organization, CCHI. And uh, uh, even though you didn't give us a specific title other than maybe executive, executive secretary in charge, I think you're a powerhouse in the organization, and we want to uh, give you an open invitation to come on again, and we'd like to review as your movement, as your initiative uh, progresses, we'd like to review uh, in the future some more uh, time with you on the radio. I, that would be an honor. Thank you both. Okay, thank you. So much. Thank you. That, was, that was Jeanette Perez for CCHI talking about their initiative. Uh, I rec highly recommend to all our listeners get involved. It's a, all California listeners get involved. It's an extremely important initiative. Uh, normally at this time we bring uh, Craig Cecil, a federal prisoner on, who's doing a life sentence for marijuana. But unfortunately uh, he's not able to. He has to work today and there's some things occurring. Mindy, would you give us a little bit uh, I think you've investigated uh, something concerning what's happening in his, the prison he's in. Well, yeah, I got a letter 
or well, a core links message from Craig, and he wrote me a little story. I'm not going to read the whole thing at this point, but he's mentioned to us um, when he's called in about how the warden has reduced the foods that they are being given. They no longer are getting dinner. Um, they're getting at lunchtime. They are served a brown bag that has four slices of bread, a slice of bologna and a slice of processed cheese. Um, On top of that, they have um, also been diminishing the number of staff to inmates. And um, they have a very large complex. There's 1,405 inmates in in the whole complex between the medium and the minimum security. And what he is concerned about is that last year in Pecos, Texas, um, a ward there approved serving less food. And by February of 2015, so that was just last year, the inmates there rioted. The staff then locked the gate and fled. Local officials of Texas and the National Guard were called um, to, you know, end it. Nobody died although guards um, were killed in a riot that had happened four years prior at the same prison. And and then after that riot, the food did get a little bit better. Um, Craig used the word adequate, which, as we've heard in the past, food comes in boxes that say not fit for human consumption. So it, I, I used the word, I didn't even want to say the word adequate for the food they're served, but at least more of it, I assume. At any rate, so... Um, you know, Craig's point is is that with those, and in that prison, there was only 800 inmates, and they needed the National Guard. And he's basically asking, you know, is, is Indiana ready for a situation over bologna sandwiches? You know, and the dangers that happen in a prison where you put inmates in situations like that where they're getting fed inadequately, they don't get... Um, they're they're in lockdown situation because of the reduced amount of people and um, reduced amount of, of um, excuse me um, staff. They do not have access to the yard. They don't have access to the art room or to the other things like that. So things are really getting bad there. And I just want to make sure everybody knows to send out lots of love to Craig. Peaceful thoughts. Um, I'm hoping that we can get the story that Craig has written published and start getting it around there. See if we get some attention to this and get this prison in Terre Haute, Indiana, some relief. Wow. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience, uh, meals in prison are very important as activities are important. Uh, In other words, just being able to go to the yard in your free time is important in prison. Uh, if you have a hobby, you're, you're allowed to paint or some, something of that nature or work in a pottery shop, which uh, most prisons, federal prisons have as, as uh, elective hobbies. It's important. It's important to, to break the monotony and the routine of prison. But I'd like to get back to what Wendy says. I want, every, I want our listeners to, to, to understand this. Rather than a hot meal... A little brown bag is given you, and in it is just a couple of pieces of bread, a piece of bologna, and we know bologna is a 
as negative food value and maybe a piece of processed cheese. It's dry as can be. They usually give you a package of mayonnaise or something to go with it. And just maybe uh, a piece of fruit and uh, maybe a juice. And you know, so you don't go to the mess hall, which is a break in the routine, and you're given, instead of a hot meal, you've given this horrible bag. And I'm telling you, as a prisoner, you grimace when they, when they start doing this. Anytime there's a lockdown situation, they do this. And it, it's, it's really horrible. There's no food value really in what you're getting. And uh, I guarantee you, uh, you do that for a couple of weeks and you're ready to climb the walls. Uh, you're ready to, it's, it's, it makes a, a bad situation even worse. So, uh, Mindy, it's a wonderful report that you bring us to enlighten us about this. Uh, It goes on throughout federal prison. I want you to know, as a long-term prisoner, 25 years, I've seen it over and over done. Uh, In fact, a little-known fact is that the average amount of money spent feeding a prisoner is something in the area of $1.50 a day. Mindy? I repeat, a dollar fifty a day. I, I, I would ask you, Mindy, to respond, and I know our listeners will be thinking, what can you, what could you do in the outside world with a dollar fifty to feed yourself? A dollar fifty a day. Could you do it, Mindy? Uh, it would, it, it would be hard. I guess maybe rice and beans. Maybe. <laughs> I'm guessing. Right, rice and beans. <laughs> Do you hear that, listeners? That's, and we call ourselves the most civilized nation in the world, the most advanced nation in the world, and yet we're doing that to our prisoners. Uh, Honestly, by the way, Dean, if they had if they had rice and beans, it'd probably be better than whatever it is that they're given. Absolutely correct. It would at least be a hot meal. And I've, I've yeah. lived in Latin America and seeing the peasants, the poorest of the poor, and at least they eat that. But yet our prisoners can't even eat that. Exactly. Can't even get that. Okay. Uh, I think, Mindy, this is a point where we usually bring in George Martirano. Did he come on the air yet? Is he in Not the... yet. Okay. He is well, not on the airwaves yet. He'll be coming on in a minute, and uh, he has George's corner. Uh, before he comes on, Mindy, I'd just like to introduce the audience to to who he is. Uh, George and I did a number of years together, probably more than eight years together in the same prisons and uh, in the federal system. George did 33 years incarceration for marijuana charges, and he finally got out a miracle. By the grace of God, he got out. Uh, he's... Uh, he spent more than half his life in prison for marijuana charges. In through it all, Mindy, through it all, listeners, the, I can vouch for this personally. The man kept his integrity and kept his humanity going. He became a writer, wrote books. He, he's a poet. He writes poetry. He, in fact, for the show, this show, he creates a new original poem every week. He comes on. And uh, he taught people, 
he uh, assisted uh, younger inmates who were having problems uh, adjusting and so on. In other words, he was a positive force during his whole time in prison. Uh, he's now on the outside, and we're graced in this program that we can have him on. Uh, he comes on weekly and gives us uh, uh, a, a poem uh, he's written for the, for the week he reports on and so on. Uh, George is right now uh, about to do something which uh, touches me deeply, Mindy. He, uh, his mother is, lives in Philadelphia. George is living in Tampa, Florida. And uh, his mother is very sick, and George is going to be able to go to her and be with her. He's get, trying to get he's he's on probation, so he's going to get try to get uh, uh, the permission of the probation office to do that. Uh, Mindy, it, it it touches me so personally because when my mother was dying in prison, when I was in prison, all she kept saying was she wanted to see her son, and I couldn't, of course, go. They won't. Contrary to what some people believe about our prison system, uh, at least on the federal basis, uh, they don't let you. They don't. Re, they don't release you even uh, with guards to go to if if you have a sick mother or if uh, a close member of your family dies. They don't release you. They don't give you temporary release to go to go there. So uh, it, it was one of my most, worst moments in prison, Mindy, when I couldn't be there. Uh, my my beloved mother was dying. All she wanted to do was see her son again, and it couldn't happen. So I'm I'm uh, personal. It's a personal high for me to know that George is able to do that with his mother. Uh, well, speaking of which, George has made it on the air. Would you like me to bring him up, Eugene? Yes, let's bring him up. All righty, here he comes. Okay, Good morning, George. Let's... Hey, hi, Mindy. Hi, Gene. <clears throat> Thanks Good for morning, having me on again. Yes, I enjoy George's Corner. Every week I look forward to it. Well, the well, listeners we. look forward to hearing you. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you know, I, I hear some other voices on the great show that uh, that uh, that are in prison, and, and uh, you know, it breaks my heart. I hear the, the, the rhetoric... Uh, behind their voice on the prison cell block and thank God that's not I anymore. Thank God. Anyway, uh, I always start with, uh, an original poem. I don't title them because I, I write them, uh, in a short time before the show because I want, uh, I want them to be, uh, of human, humanly fresh. Uh, so here goes. They let me out, said free. Lo and behold, can never be. There will be humans not to see. There is a plant pushed away from me. Rules now, rules cage. America, America, oh, how I cried. Cannot understand the hard why, why. You gave me freedom, freedom, tag. Never to talk, never to act, lest to be dragged right back. And that is my uh, poetic words for today. Wow. That's all I can say, George. That was very deep. Can you give us a little bit of 
well, insight usually, uh, as an ex-prisoner, I'd like to know what you mean. Well, I'm uh, very disturbed. Uh, uh, beginning, it's been a buildup inside of me. And this uh, poem relates to uh, probation. Uh, guys uh, like me, who I did over 30 years, it should not be warranted. We should not be tagged with more rules. Now, if I had a violent indictment, if I had a violent prison uh, record, I could I could understand. But my prison record is historical, and that's the right words from the judge that released me. So now I am tagged with this uh, probation situation, which uh, I, I I understand how to com uh, you know comply. But uh, I'm getting a little annoyed now. It's been over three months. Uh, I obey all the rules. I actually has assisted the community uh, with people on paper that have problems. But now, uh, like uh, Gene said on the show, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mindy and Gene, I have to go back to Philadelphia. So naturally, I'm here in, uh, in Florida. It's Shireen, uh, the beaches, and I've been doing public speaking and doing my writing and but now I'm going back into uh basically where there's minefields. Minefields that I don't even know. And I'm gonna have this probation over my shoulder and I already have offered uh, to, to work with reentry with the federal judges in Philadelphia and uh, the probation people incidentally we have have no no uh nothing in place for probation. So you come out of prison, a guy like me, and there's others like me who have languished, and now we got to have uh, someone over our shoulders to put us back. Well, yes, what? I say no, and I'm going to probably bring a legal argument. If not, I'm going to bring the argument to the media. Because there's a legal term, and Gene knows the term, it's called equity estoppel. It means that I have my equity into my, into my paying my dues. I paid my crime. I have my equity into that. Estoppo is a Latin word to mean it has to stop, to stop. So in other words, after 32 years, they are continuing to punish me. You cannot do that. I mean, how much punishment are you going to bestow on a human being? 30 years, 40 years, 50 years for marijuana, a nonviolent first offender? So now I'm getting, I'm getting uh, perturbed in an intelligent way and... Uh, and I'm going to have to bring it to a legal argument. Gene? Yeah, uh, George, I, I can hear your message loud and clear. I hope listeners are, are grasping it. Uh, you know, it brings into, into question, George, what is the purpose of incarceration to begin with? What is it? Why is Why are people incarcerated? Uh, uh, George, I, I'd like your views on that because... My understanding is incarceration was originally supposed to be to separate violent people from society who could do harm to people. And uh, it sure went a stretch off of that uh, with our laws, uh, drug laws, especially pertaining to marijuana and especially pertaining to people like yourself and myself and so many others we've known in marijuana cases who are nonviolent uh, offenders. Can you give us some insight, George? Well, I I, I don't I just don't on it's you know it's different there's different focus points on that. Either they believe the marijuana guy is super intelligent that he made the rooms rooms full of money, which is no true, not true. Every 
every marijuana guy that I've seen come into the system is a nice guy or a nice woman. And then uh, and then the, you have the I believe, and you know you have good media now. You have uh, you have the left the left wing media, the, the liberal media. Well, I believe, and like I said, it's only my opinion. Media have pay, has played a big part in the warehousing of us because when we were young, growing up, there was three channels, okay, NBC, ABC, and CBS, okay, and then the cable came along, and uh, they had all these type of channels. Well, you know, the most uh, inexpensive, believe it or not, cable channel to put up was news. So they had all these cable channels, and they and there's no. Good news does not sell. Bad news rides a fast horse. So they had to put the bad news in bad news. Now, who jumped on the bad news to get elected was the politicians and then the drug war. And so it was a combination of things. But for the marijuana guys to get buried, like I, I just see the word, <laughs> I, was, I, I was in Marion, uh, which was the ADX of our time. It was the Alcatraz of our time, right? I was a nonviolent first offender, and uh, when I hit the, the cell block, the gangs you had uh, you had uh, all types of gangs. I don't want to get into label them. They came up to me and they basically said, "How many guys you killed?" I said, "I ain't killed nobody." They said, "Wait a minute, you have life, no parole." It was thirty-four guys on the cell block, all violent repeat offenders, and I'm the one with life, no parole for weed. And I said, "No." I says, uh, here, I, I showed her my paperwork. They says, we never heard of this. These are guys that have been in prison since they were juveniles. And they're men now. And they'd never heard of the situation it was for a weed guy. So, you know, what, where did the, where, how did we become the boogeyman? I don't know. I really don't know. Gene, Mindy. George, uh, uh, I think you bring up an interesting point. I'd like to repeat it for listeners, the listeners' sake. Uh, uh, George is saying somewhere along the way, back when guys like George and I began our sentences, the media jumped on on these cases and on the whole thing to make them into a propaganda thing about how horrible everything was without any basis of fact. And... Uh, uh, the laws went that way, and now, now hopefully, George, there's a shift. There's been a shift, and that's part of why we have this program and why there are activists uh, working out there uh, to try to change all of this perception. And we can do it today through social media easier than we ever could before. Uh, Georgie and I went in when there was no social media, and now we're out here participating in a blog and so on. But uh, uh, feel that shift occurring. I feel it occurring, but it's occurring much too slowly, uh, Gene, ladies and gentlemen, Mindy, because there are men that have AIDS. They're dying. They are dying out there. Please, listeners, there are men dying. You, you know, help us in you know writing letters. I don't care if you go to the laundry mat and talk to three people. If you go to the park and talk to six people. If you take your children or grandchildren or to the school, talk to more. You have to talk, talk, talk. I reached out through the world. 
in a cell, ladies and gentlemen, in a cell. So if I can do it, you can do it. We just have to talk. And I do all the talking I can. I was invited to a party last evening. Very wealthy people. Beautiful uh, three-bedroom uh, uh, apartment overlooking uh, the water. You know, very, very apartment was a million plus. And basically, I didn't go there for the food or the ladies, I went there to get on a podium. I actually got on a, <clears throat> well, a not physical podium, but I gave a speech. I gave a 20-minute speech that uses the people that can make a difference. And uh, when I left, uh, I did I did capture some to bring into the cause. So that's what we have to do, Gene. Uh, Mindy, maybe you have a couple of questions you'd like to ask George. Uh, well, um, I do want to sit, point out, George, I saw your name run across an email the other day uh, about for Seattle Hemp Fest. I know that they're going to be doing some fundraising up there, as a raffle or something, trying to help earn money to get you and Jeff to um, get there. So I'm really excited. That's another opportunity for you to speak, and I'll be there, so I'll get to see you live in person instead of on the poster. I've seen posters of you up in Seattle for a long time before I ever heard your voice. So well, that would be I really exciting. Do, uh, that believe that's in August, Mindy. Now, uh, I'm, I'm, as soon as uh, the you know the beginning of spring starts, I'm going to have to work with them. I don't know if I'll probably still be on paper, so what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to get a letterhead from an institution of learning, whether it be a school or something, and try to get permission to come out there. Again, I'm getting annoyed with this all this probation stuff because it's, it, it, it doesn't make sense. So I'm praying well, we'll that have I to can start, be out there. We'll have to start planning on how to make that happen for you, George. Yes, yes. Well, I'm gonna. I'll call you on that. I'll call you that. All right, dear. You know, I did 32 years plus years for marijuana, and they got me on this paper. And I, and I'm not a drinker. I can't even. I can't even smoke a joint because I would not put myself back. I'm not going to put myself nope. back, especially for my mother. My mother not feeling well, but. Uh, I lay in bed. Well, you know, everyone knows, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that I don't sleep indoors. Wherever I stay, I sleep outside. And I, I'm laying in my tent or someone's balcony, and I'm looking up at the stars. And I say, you know what? In front of all of them, the mass, uh, mass people at the Hemp Fest, I'm going to smoke my first joint and be truthful about it. So I, I, is it is it funny? No, it's not funny. It's sad. It's sad because it'll be close to 33 years. They they took a little joy that it's, it's a God given plant from me. <clears throat> Mindy. Yeah. George, I, I got a question for you uh, that just crossed my mind. I know what you're doing in Tampa, and I know I'm a Floridian, so I know you know the weather is favorable for you sleeping outside. But I'm thinking up there in Philadelphia, the weather is darn cold are you going to still sleep outside no what i'm going to do is uh uh you know i can't sleep on soft surfaces so uh, uh my family has already already rains i have rooms in the back of the house. they're sticking me all the way to the back of the house where i'll probably sleep on something hard and crack the window because i i don't like uh i don't like heat 
you know, uh, you know. So I just, uh, I just write, and I'll, I'll sleep in a, in a very. Uh, I'll try to make it as best as I can that I'm outdoors, and then when the spring comes, who knows? But George, uh, I, I, I'm curious about something, and I'm of course asking you this, knowing the answer. But what kind of conditions do we have in prison? As far as sleeping, give me a description of of, of well, what the typical bed is. Oh my God! Oh, jeez! <laughs> you want me to go to the the horror stories or the norm or the norm? The normal no, you give horror. Us the, give us the truth. Give us the truth. The horror stories or the normal horror? Well, Both. let's Both. see. Uh, I remember in uh, transit in Georgia after the movie. Remember Macon County, Georgia, the movie. Well, I pulled oh, yeah. up to we got pulled up to Macon County in the middle of the night, and uh, <clears throat> we were went through uh, real quick. Uh, you know, they gave me a bed roll, and they had this twine. They had this big roll of twine. It was it was like a tire, and uh, the guy gave me my bed roll, and he starts giving me twine, and uh, I said, "What the hell is he giving me twine for?" I said, what's this for? He says, you'll learn. You'll know something like that. So I hit uh, I hit the cell block, and uh, the guys in the south, the southern prisoners, you know, they were they had the cell block, and they said, you got to go in the back. you got to go in the back. So I go in the back of the cell block, and actually the bunks had no, uh, they, they had no mattresses, and, the, you know, the, the spring, the wires uh, that you were, were so torn apart, that you had to use the twine to make yourself a bed to lay on. You had to tighten the the the, the, uh, the wires. So you you spend time tying up this thing so you can basically throw your blanket on and sleep. And when you get up in the morning, you actually look like you were lashed. So that's that's and that's just one story. And I can go on and on and try to sleep in uh, a cell. Try to sleep in a cell with five guys, a, ten, a six by ten cell, and make some make some human humanly sense of it. And I can go on and on and on. What is the normal bunk in a federal prison now today, George? Is it is it a nice mattress uh, on a soft? No, no, them days that we used to have them th- thick mattresses. Basically, them thick mattresses with the spring. The springs on they they gave everybody a bad back, you know that. Now it's just a metal slab with about a two inch uh, piece of foam, and that's it. And you don't even get a pillow anymore, Gene, because the the foam slab has a pillow built in into it. So you don't even get the pillow anymore, and that's it. So and, like, uh, if I understand, George, you're saying you lay down on a on a metal surface. That's a metal your bed. Slab bunk. Metal slab bunk welded to the wall. You get about a two-inch foam. Uh, it, the foam is like, I guess they just it comes out manufactured like that. And then the one end of it is like a lump, and that's your pillow. That's what you're getting now. And, uh, you know, you only get the, the, the two sheets and the one uh, blanket. And, you know, you can't exist with one blanket. Then you got to make your moves around the laundry, you know, for a couple bucks, get some more blankets because... Themselves, there's no, there's no real heat in themselves. It comes out cold, or it comes out uh, a little less cold, even in winter. And I, I guess what 
that's what they did to me, 30-some years sleeping like that. I can't sleep in any kind of heat situation. Gene? George, uh, uh, I'm asking you this because I know I experienced it, and I want our listeners to hear it. Uh, uh, There's usually two men in a cell, but uh, tell us about the history of our time when we did, did in prison when they were tripling people up and Oh, they're still tripping up. They're still tripping up. They say they're not. They're still every every uh, every A and O. The prison I just left. When you hit A and O unit, uh, you uh, it's triple bunks, and then from there you have to go to a unit. And basically, each individual is in a triple bunk anywhere from uh, three to six months before you get into two man, unless you're you're handicapped. That's that's standard. Every president, they said they don't have it. That's standard. Every president. Obama, uh, President Obama was in uh, El Reno. He actually stood there and looked, and he asked uh, the, uh, the, I don't know if it was the warden or somebody from the region, the director, he says, he pointed to the, he says, three men live in this room. Three men, and that was, uh, and El Reno has a little smaller cell. They're not six by ten. I believe they're like five by eight. And he said, three men living here? And they, they said yes, and he just shook his head. So hey, uh, That's absolutely ridiculous, you guys. Hey, um, George and Eugene, guess what? Our next scheduled guest is waiting on the line. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of interested in hearing if she knows much about the difference between a state um and federal as far as the conditions. Our next guest, her name is Andy Martin, and she is um, the wife of Chris Martin, serving time in Arizona. Oh. So, George, thank um, it- you your time, and uh, we'll be on again next week with Georgie's Corner. It's, it's a high, one of the highlights of our program. We appreciate so much who you are, George, and what you've done and what you're doing. Thank you. Okay, well, I look forward to it. And, man, Mindy, uh, I'm going to see you soon, sweetheart. All righty, I look forward to it, George. You have All a right, beautiful Jean, day. Take, yes, you take care, Gene. Okay, George, George right. Monterano, a friend and a, 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 a fellow companion in the system for a while. Mindy, bring on our next guest. This is exciting. Yes, it is. Um, I want to, before I bring Andy on, I just want to say that Chris um, is a special pen pal for me um, for a lot of different reasons. But one of the biggest ones is that I knew him. We were friends, at least on Facebook, and it's spoken a lot prior to him going in. And at one point, I had posted that I was writing letters to people or uh, and and it put a picture up of it of some sort and Chris Martin came and responded on it that if he ended up going to prison that he really hoped that he was on my list and um, so when I got his first letter or when I said I'm going to get all emotional this is going to be hard for me but anyway this is just a really special family to me and I'm really looking forward to talking to Andy and um, Chris is a Crohn's disease patient and can really use some support and some help right now. So I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Good morning, Andy. How are you? 
Hello, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Andy, this is Eugene Fisher. Eugene, this is Andy. Hello, Andy. Good good to talk to you. And uh, as an ex-prisoner, I feel very much for your situation. Uh, I know how hard it is on family. Uh, My family suffered for 25 years. They did time right alongside me, and I know you're doing the same. Uh, So it's my pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Andy, I was wondering if you could give us the background on, um, you know, what happened, how it was, how did Chris get charged, how much time he's, you know, he's got left, things like that. Um, Well, right now he's uh, on in February. He'll be down to one year. Um, It's been he left on August thirty first, and. Honestly, we when we went in for sentencing, we were under the impression that come home, and because of his medical and the judge, um, it during sentencing in front of all the people that were there, she she made everybody stand up who was there for Chris. And it was the entire courtroom. Um, she then in front of all of them made you know every made sure that Chris's medical was going to be taken care of um, and that they were going to take him. They were not, the state said no way on a bracelet. Um, If he didn't take that two years, they were going to start trial on him and he would have been looking at a minimum of nine years to a maximum of 127 years. Um, So with that being said, we thought, you know, at least his medical would be somewhat looked at a little more and it absolutely has not been. Um, now, his he went in with Crohn's, with a diagnosis of Crohn's, and since hitting the prison yard, he is, according to them, cured of Crohn's. He does not have it anymore. And the only thing he needs to be taking is heartburn medication. So that's how it started, and they still won't treat him for the Crohn's. They want to decipher which doctor made the diagnosis, and it's not the doctor they wanted. So, of course, they won't treat him for that. Um, And then he got sick, actually, just within the last month, where they found it necessary enough that he needed an emergency EKG done, and he had swelling of the legs, it was pretty it was pretty bad. I mean when you call take him out for EKG and then tell him he's going into con, you know, congestive heart failure, put him back in his room and the next day when the nurse practitioner came to see him they told him they lost the EKG but they didn't feel it necessary to redo one because he looked okay at that time. And um again, he was offered heartburn medication for what they were saying was congestive heart failure. Um, I've been with friends and family. I've called the government office, the main office. I've called the prison and the nurse, the head nurses numerous times and nobody calls back. And I, I give time. I, I give them 48 hours in between each of my six phone calls at this point and nobody wants to return a call. And it's it's just been hard health-wise. Nobody is looking at that, and people die in there. Um, Angie, so you're saying that 
he has a heart problem and they're saying it's uh, uh, digestive problems or uh, it, it, it has no significance and they're not even doing a proper EKGs when he might have had a heart attack. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, well, Eugene, I think what Andy's saying is is that um, he went in there knowing that he was sick with Crohn's disease. They're trying to say that he doesn't have that, that he has early stages of congestive heart failure and are trying to treat that with Zantac. Yes. Yes. That's ridiculous. Yes, That's absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. Um, now, I... I uh, we worked with um, a family for Thomas Landris. He's in an Oklahoma prison, and he has um, some pretty significant health issues that were being ignored. And his daughter, like you, Andy, called all the time. Nobody would return calls. Nothing happened. Nothing. What? Ha- nothing changed. And then um, we put a real big push, and we started calling. Um, got. The first day there was before 8 o'clock, 20 messages from 20 different people saying, we understand this man needs medical attention. Who's going to help him? Within a week, he got his machine that he needed. Um, Things really, it really did make a difference. And I'm saying this to you because, A, we've talked and uh, we're going to work on, you know, getting a campaign to get people to make these phone calls. Um, but I'm also saying, also hoping that whoever's listening today is going to be looking out for that information. We'll have it out on the web or our, our Facebook pages and um, the free Chris Martin page and make sure that um, to take that extra three minutes of your life to pick up the phone and make that call because the squeaky wheel does get help. And, um, you know, we we kind of stalled on doing this for a while, Andy, and I think it was because you were trying to get in to see Chris. And did you can you explain to us why it is that you haven't been able to see your husband since he's been in? Um, yeah, when when we were got raided for the marijuana, um, they had charged me with eleven felonies as well for being married. Chris basically and um, so I ended up having to take a plea and I so I had a um, attempted sale of narcotics to wit cannabis so that doesn't even Wait, make so you, sense an attempted you attempted a sale is what they're char- charging you with yes with no evidence um, so they said I attempted sales of um, narcotics to wit cannabis. So I because it was hash they're saying so, but it's cannabis. So that doesn't those don't even belong in the same sentence in my opinion. Um, and then I got another felony charge I had to plead to for um, having paraphernalia as a medical marijuana patient. They charged me with the the paraphernalia. Um, so that put me on probation and at the time when I had to take the plea my it, I'd never been in trouble before so it was 22 years or you can sign the plea and I was obviously scared and we have kids and Chris was looking at a lot more time and um, so I, 
I did take the plea for three years of probation. And my probation um, ended the day after Chris's prison sentence. So they denied me. If you had probation for three years, you guys have been dealing with this whole, I mean, the raid must have happened forever ago. They didn't um, charge me for over two years. So we fought it for, I fought it for over two years and then finally got a plea deal. And then Chris was over three years before he was sentenced. Wow. And and it just worked out perfect to where my probation would end one day after his prison sentence. But because we were kind of thinking that this county just, this is how they work, I actually paid all my fines and did all of the stuff they asked of me within the first eight months. So as I was appealing that visitation to see Chris, um, I was granted a, I was, they, a judge, the judge took me off probation early and took my felonies down to misdemeanors. And the appeal still said no. And so I have to wait now six months to reapply and when I called the corporate office, like, but I just, you know, I told, I explained to them that the judge had just signed it. It was all within the days of mailing. That's it. Um, they, they said no, that I still had a background, so that could still keep me from seeing him. However, it's a misdemeanor paraphernalia. You know, it's, so I, I, I'm still fighting it. I can't really do much now until after April 14th. That's heartbreaking. I was trying to help get Chris some medical attention, and um, you know, I, I'd like to see what we can also do to to get them to let you see your husband. Has has he been able to see the kids? No, he hasn't been able to see anybody, nobody since he's left. I know that um, my cousin. My cousin finally got approved, but everybody else was being denied, and it it, it cost $25 to get denied, and when you're denied, you have to either appeal it, and that's another what process. What do you mean it cost money? Um, to try you to... You have to pay a fee to, to apply? Yes, it's $25 to apply to see. Wow. I've only visited people in a federal penitentiary and that there's no application fee. I had no idea that you had to. Wow. Yeah, and every time, every every time you apply, it's $25. Um, for Chris right now, it's $2 a day while he stays there. Um, on top of our phone, I, I basically, it's $5 a phone call. And we only get 15 minutes. He gets one call a day right now. Um, he they have him on a medium security yard for marijuana. So that's it's it's just they they're they they're making him do work or or these classes that they say are optional classes. But your option is because this the prison gets paid for how many students go into this class. So into an optional class. So their options for these guys are you take the class or you get a ticket and you stay on the phase level you're at for an extra six months. Well, 
that's obviously not a choice. That's you're going to take the class. You don't want to stay at the same level. You're trying to get out. So he was pretty upset over that because he's being forced into because the prison's getting paid for him to take this class that has nothing to do with what Chris does. What it, it's a construction for when you get out, you can learn construction. He's a chef. We own a business. Nothing he needs, and he's being forced to do it so that they get paid. And with that being said, the same prison had to make cutbacks, and they only get fed on the weekends two meals. During the week, they'll get three meals, but on the weekends, they get two because they had to make cutbacks, so they cut food out for the inmates. That's a permanent cutback? Right now, yes. So you basically, I mean, you have to make sure there's money for these guys to have food even. He has to have money to get his commissary. It's just been one thing after another in there with... So how how are you able to support him when you're trying to support yourself and he's not... I mean, I assume that Chris was part of um, your family income at some point. Oh, yeah, we ran, um, we had a cafe and a shop, and I actually, um, I did close the actual cafe down because I just could, I couldn't do it without him, and um, so now I just, I run our online store, and it's keeping things even right now, so that that's helping. It's hard, it's definitely hard, because there's so, every other week it's $100 on the phones and the opposite weeks, it's, you know, a minimum of $100 I'm putting on his books because they only got issued two pairs of pants, socks, underwear, and there's more than two days in a week. So, Right. Um, if people wanted to help you by um, supporting your business, how could they find you? Um, right. Hempfulfarms.com is our company right now. Um we do all CBD-infused products, so we do it for pets and we do it for humans as well. Great, great. I was I was checking out the soap on that website the other day. It looks pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, that's a new one, yeah. It's, it smells amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've also seen some artwork that Chris has done. Um, how do we, How can people see the work that he's doing? Um, well, right now what I'm doing is I'm putting it up on he's, – he's been coloring in there, and that's something he actually wanted to um, me to mention to you is that he gets coloring books in there. So what he's doing is um, it, it takes up a lot of time. He The coloring just passes time. He said he'll start, and four hours later he's like, oh, wow, it's been four hours. And it's actually gotten pretty popular. So what he's been trying to do is, like, coloring with convicts. So we, I, I send him the coloring books, and he will go make copies and give all these guys copies, and they can buy crayons and pencils there at the commissary, so they have to. we can't provide it. We can only provide the books. Um, and so what Chris has been doing is sending the pictures home, and I just was posting them because he's doing a great job. They're beautiful. And um, people started asking about them. So talking to Chris and telling him, you know, a lot of people are asking if what, what I'm doing with your pictures, he wants 
to for donation, we post them online um, on the Chris Martin uh, Facebook page, and then um, people will donate. They see if they see one they like, just message me, let me know, and um, with the, because I have the online store, I can take payments right on or donations right online. And what it does is it goes right back into more coloring books for him to, because it helps all of those guys in there. It's not just for him. It's for all of those have nothing else to do to pass the time but fight, get in trouble, always locked down. They are always on lockdown. So it's... That's, it, really, it's, that's, it, really, that's really awesome. I'm that's The fact that he makes copies and passes them out and shares them, and that's just, that's really incredible. But the guys love it. They It's a big deal. So it's He's gone through a lot. He's given books away to guys that he feels needs them. And it's a good, I, they've done studies on these coloring books, how it helps the adult brain. So it's just, it's good for them. I think it's, it's better than fighting or being mad because you're stuck with three guys in a tiny room or you can't go outside because one guy wanted to be, you know, he didn't want to eat when everybody else did. So it, it's definitely, it's, it's helping, and people love the pictures, so. It makes perfect sense. You can't go into a bookstore without seeing the adult coloring books all over the place now. I mean, it's really, and, you know, and, and they've used that for therapy for a long time, so it makes complete sense that it would be a useful tool in prison. Well, it was kind of funny because we started off getting them, and me and the kids would hang them on the refrigerator like, me and Chris would do for the kids with their artwork. And then he was sending so many that that's when we were like, he said, well, let's post them and see what people say. And they, they were a hit. So, and really he just wants to give back. Chris always wants to give back to somebody and help somebody in whatever way. So that's, this is his way, why he's in there, of you know, donating to this cause. Cause it's not, it's not just him. There's other guys in there and not everybody belongs in there or you know that everybody has their own story and it's, it's just cool what it does just the simplest thing well andy i first of all i want to thank you for sharing your story i know that it's painful i also want to tell everybody to tune back um on february 14th on valentine's day i have a special letter that chris has written that i'm going to read for you, Andy. So I, I I know you'll be listening, and everybody else can tune in and bring some tissues if you if you join us that day. Eugene, did you have anything else you wanted to talk to Andy about? Uh, no, just uh, Andy. I would like to say this for the listeners and for you uh, that prisoners do this. What your husband is doing, and when we talk about prisoners and we think of people who've done some bad, I'd like to just suggest that we look at actions like your husband with his coloring books and helping other, other guys. I saw that over and over while I was doing my time and it shows the humanity uh, of people, even in the very worst conditions shows their basic humanity helping each other. And I want to commend your husband, Chris, for what he's doing 
and you for helping him because uh, the family is as much a part of every per- incarcerated person's incarceration as his actual incarceration or her actual incarceration is. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Andy. Well, I look forward to talking to you again, and we will probably hear from you on the 14th as well. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Bye-bye. Mindy, that's exciting. You're going to have a Valentine's wish from a prisoner to his wife, and you're going to actually put it on the air? We're going to hear it? Yep, I'm going to try to read it without crying my eyes out. Um, that <laughs> You have a point there, Eugene. So on February 14th, we're asking anybody who has a loved one who is in prison or on the other side, inmates who want to send a message to a loved one to be read on air, and um, we're going to dedicate our show to that topic on February 14th. So I'm hoping that um, people will want to participate. I think it could be a really nice show and a little bit more uplifting, I hope, than some of some things that we have to talk about because uh, war isn't pretty and sometimes our shows can get kind of sad. So I'm hoping that'll be a fun show for us as well as, as a little bit of a tearjerker. So yeah, let me um, understand it, Mindy. So you're saying on our show... We're going to bring wishes from prisoners to their loved ones, and we're going to publicly display them, and uh, we're inviting anyone who wants to participate from either on the outside or the inside to get involved. Exactly. You got it, Eugene. Wow, Um, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. And then uh, for the rest of our show today, it looks like we're down to about a half hour, Eugene, and we have um, Tom Corby is going to be coming on here in a few minutes, and uh, Terry Miller, we've had her on the show before, and her husband uh, is serving some time right now. I think he's waiting for trial. And then Kristen, she couldn't stay away. She's going to be in at the end to give us a Washington update and our closing. Oh, Oh, yes. So um, I'm going to go ahead and bring up Terry real quick to tell us what's going on with her situation. Good morning, Terry. Hi, guys. How are you? How are you today? I'm doing good. I was just bawling listening to um, the other lady that was on. I'm terrible with names. I I want to get in contact with her because we got so much going on this name in our lives, and I would like to make contact with her. Um, we got a lot in common to talk about. So um, you can find her. You can find her if you um, look up. Are you a Facebook person, Terry? Oh, yeah, I'm all over that Facebook, the herbal soldier, remember? <laughs> That's so. right. It's only me. Uh, Chris Martin is the best way to find Andy. Um, she is okay. under his page. Um, okay. And, and I can always help you guys with that on off air as well. So. But yeah, I was also, thinking the same thing, very similar situations. Yeah, and Jason's got a lot of medical issues too going on, and he's even the same um, – trying to help other prisoners. I've been 
I, I am not a letter writer at all. And let me tell you what my husband's been doing to me. Not only does he talk to me about not writing him enough, but he has me writing all these other prisoners in there, printing up pictures off their Facebooks of their kids and um, searching Sheridan County, Wyoming, for another prisoner who gets out on the 31st. Him and his girlfriend were both locked up there, and, and they're getting out on the 31st, and they have nothing. So um, I was to find resources in the community for, like, day labor and that kind of stuff and mail that to him and um, even come up with $25 so they have a little bit of money when they get out because that's who Jason is, you know. You don't want to leave anybody stranded like that. And so these are the kind of things he's – they're part of what he wants the Herbal Soldier page to be eventually, an actual, you know, resource and a tool for families and prisoners, you know. And so he's – He's, like, trying to work it from inside already, you know, without nothing. You know, we don't have anything ourselves yet, Jason, but that's, I just God bless him is all I can say is my husband has a huge heart, and I'm very glad to be married to him. That's beautiful. And that's then, beautiful story. Um, so, anyways, um, he, the latest, um, I'm not sure that I've been on the air since, They've added three more felony charges of um, interference with a peace officer to his already felony um, with the the original charge of felony possession with intent. And then they added, soon after he got sent back to Wyoming from Colorado, they added the three counts of conspiracy. And now the most recent is three counts of felony interference of a police officer, why he was on a pill that he should have never been on in the first place that the that the jail was giving him um, that causes anger and outbursts and, you know, everything. It's called Effexor, and this pill has some serious side effects on it and should never be given to anybody with a history of seizures and sodium deficiencies. And the jail was informed that my husband has seizures and sodium deficiencies. And after they were supposed to do a med check after so long of being on that pill, and they never did the med check. And so um, not for after almost over 60 days after his mom did all the research on the pill and everything and sent the information to the nurse at the jail because of the seizures and the sodium deficiencies and the way he'd been with everybody for like two months. It was hell. I mean, he even had his mom serve me divorce papers during that two months. And um, it was horrible. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they they added him to felonies now because there was an altercation that supposedly two guards got injured in one of the altercations why he was on their medication instead of his medication. And then there was another instance just recently, as recent as the night before New Year's Eve, on the early morning on the 30th of December, 4 o'clock in the morning, they woke Jason up out of a sound sleep because of something he wrote to me in a letter, took him, didn't tell him where he was going, wouldn't answer his questions, just said, come with us, took him to the suicide room, opened up the door and told him to get his effing ass in there and put the jacket on. And he had no idea why or what was going on, but he'd been in there before already 
been in there and been tased naked standing in that cell with four cops. They felt the need to tase him in there right after he was arrested. And, um, yeah, so he was like, uh I, I didn't do anything. What, what, why are you doing And when they tried to force him in there, they beat the hell out of him and tased him again on the 30th of December. I'm in custody of that letter, and there's nothing in that letter that says he was in jeopardy of hurting himself. Besides the fact he was in a sound sleep, so there was no intimate danger for sure. And um, the only thing that's really in that letter is a lot of foul names about a couple guards in there that has done nothing but harass him and inhumanely treated him horribly constantly since he's been there. And he had some names for those officers, and that, I believe, was their problem, their whole problem. They didn't have a problem with his, with his, uh, his, they didn't have any fear of where he was going with, because I've got way worse letters than that from him, that I would be concerned about his well-being, that he'd never been put in suicide watch for. And, but yet, they beat him on this letter. So, beat him and tased him on this letter. Um, his lawyer didn't show up for his pre-trial conference and why he sat there in court with no lawyer and the judge told the prosecutor how her case was falling apart. She said, Your Honor, we're prepared to charge Mr. Miller with two more felonies. At that time, they, they hadn't done the third one on December 30th one. But the first two that was in that jail, I was on that medication. We're prepared to charge Mr. Miller with two more felonies today. He sat there in court with no lawyer, and they charged him with two more felonies because she was told. I mean, because this instance has happened a long time ago. She was just holding those as her ace in the hole in case that drug case does fall apart. And she was holding that as her ace in the hole, and she just was showing the judge that now they got two more felonies for him, too. So, yeah, it's an ugly, ugly situation. It sounds to me like they are determined to make him suffer. Oh, yeah, they are. They're determined to make him suffer. They're determined to lock him away and throw away the keys. And that is no doubt in my mind. And he still sits with a public turd defender or lawyer. That's why I call him as a public turd, and I don't care. But he didn't even show up to his pretrial conference, and he sat there with no lawyer and got charged two more felonies. And you know what? When Jason didn't show up to whatever hearing it was, like four or five days after I bonded him out that we didn't even know about, he got a warrant issued for his arrest as a, a fugitive of justice, 50-state warrant with a $50,000 cash-only bond. But his lawyer doesn't show up, and they just reschedule till Friday. Yep. I have a, I have a problem with how that works. <laughs> I'm sorry. Terry, I, but it's um, not... I just, I, my heart goes out to you, and... Um, I commend you for constantly still fighting for what's right, even though the road is um, so bumpy. It's not just for him. I want to fight for every one of the soldiers locked up right now. It's just, it breaks my heart. Everything I read on Facebook, I want to, I want to scream. As of last night, I told somebody, man, right now I wish I was bewitched. So I could just wiggle my nose and change it all for everyone because this is horrible what goes on in our country. It is horrible for a plant, a a plant that is so good for 
so many people, and it's been proven so many times. So why the hell are we still going through it? <laughs> you know, it's just it it really is it's, it's crazy. It's driving me nuts, and having to tell the oh, same I couldn't story. Have said it any better? <laughs> you have to sit in and tell the same story over and over again, so many times a day on Facebook, trying to get our story out there and the word out there. That can drive a person crazy too, you know. <laughs> it really can. And, I, and Jason's going the same way in jail. He's like, baby, how many times can I write it? I said, sweetheart, try and write it as a blank, um, just universal letter, like a universal remote. Send it to me, and I'll try to make several copies and send them to you. So you can just fill in a dear whoever you're sending it to <laughs> and mm-hmm. finding it. Because I totally understand it, there's so many aspects. I probably haven't even, oh, he's never even had a private call with this counsel. Never. The, when he's, because he's on 23 and 1 and his time out is 1030 to 1130 at night. Lawyers aren't in at that time. So during the day, he tries to get requests out to call counsel. He's been denied several times to call his counsel and get to the phone. And when his counsel called and asked for him to call back, they put him on the public phone that these calls are being recorded shit. He should have private talks with his lawyer. That is a violation of some kind of right, I'm sure. He has never had a private talk. Never. They they listen to everything, his lawyer. Everything. And the very few calls he's had, they've listened to it. It's just well, crazy. Terry, I can't um, even, there's so many aspects to it. It's hard to go into on at one time, but it's it's so maddening when absolutely. you do get into it. Because I'm so, well, the layers and layers and layers of corruption. About it. I would I'm like sorry, to what? invite you, Terry, to, oh, the, the layers and layers of corruption involved in putting people away for weed is is outrageous, and it's, it's definitely overwhelming. I would like to invite you to call in any time and give us updates on how things are progressing. Um, and we're down to just about 20 minutes left, so we need to go ahead and okay. um, get our Northern Cal update from Tom Corby. Um, was there anything that you wanted to add, Eugene? No, I think that covers it very well. Eugene, real quick before you guys have to boot me, which I understand totally, I'm just kill- I'm just joshing with you guys. But <laughs> I would like to get with you. Um, Kristen possibly thought maybe you could help me with some case law and stuff that maybe on some reversals information that he's requesting. She thought that you would probably be a really good person to ask about stuff like that. Um, sure, was, like, I'd love to. And all kinds of stuff. So my my phone number is published all over Facebook, and Kristen has it, and Becca has it. Would you okay. possibly give me a call sometime soon so we could discuss that? Sure, would would be glad. Right, to. I'm a jail you. I'm a jailhouse lawyer. I'm not trained as a uh, in school, but I'm a jailhouse I, lawyer. Awesome. That's what we need. They're the better ones because the other lawyers suck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know they all don't. I know they all don't. I'm just really frustrated. There's some great lawyers out there. I wish my husband had one. <laughs> so, all right, right, I do too, well, thank you, Terry, and you try to have a really good rest of your day. 
Thank you. God bless you guys all. And I look forward to talking to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good interview, Mindy. Very good interview. Yeah, she. I uh, loved her passion and um, the power in which she speaks about her story. Um, so up next, we're going to get our Tom Corby update, and then we will bring Kristen in to finish up this show. Here's Tom. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Morning, Kristen, Jean. Good morning, Tom. Uh, I want to thank all the folks on the front line helping us come together in unity putting our risks aside to end prohibition and free all our POWs. No one should die in prison for a plant. R.I.P. Richard Floor. Uh, in Northern California, uh, when we talk about any prohibition and uh, Prop 215-420 in California is being stepped on, uh, we have uh, ongoing campaigns to ban the bans. They're trying to ban our outdoor grows uh, in California, especially Northern California. Uh, we bring uh, lawsuits and injunctions uh, against each county with Charnel Jane. She's in uh, Yuba City. Uh, you can join us uh, helping us to ban the bans in California. Uh, when we talk about the Human Solution International, Dot org, you go to our website and help uh, be the solution. Uh, join us. Uh, you can use the uh, calendar. Click on calendar. Post your <clears throat> your cases uh, with a synopsis about your case, and uh, we can help you muster court support, which is so very important. Uh, when we talk about court support, uh, when uh, when a defendant goes to jury trial and the jurors are there, this is when court support is paramount. Uh, and we always stress dress and code of conduct. We always try to be uh, responsible, respectable uh, in these courtrooms, as hard as that is sometimes. <clears throat> One of the reasons, again, we come is to bear witness to the injustices that go on inside these courtrooms. And what a waste of time and taxpayers' money, disrupting lives and families. We always point that out. Alex Lyons, member of the Human Solution, my neighbor, part of his collective, so is Dr. David Allen, uh, got busted again uh, on November 2nd, went 40 days he spent in Butte County Jail. Now, this is unacceptable. Alex Lyons is 26 years old. He's my granddaughter's age. When they put these kids in there, inside these jails, they ruin their lives. They almost screwed. They cannot. They cannot uh, probation. Uh, they just end up back in jail, and it's it's just such a shame for victims of crimes. Uh, Alex Lyons at his PTC for uh, uh, this last Thursday, uh, with uh, uh, it's not only has Charnell James on the legal side with an injunction lawsuit, also has uh, uh, attorney uh, Stefana Femino in Butte County. I really like her. Uh, she's filed a uh, caution traverse motion. Uh, we, always, we always challenge the search warrant folks on probable cause and always check out on entrapment if there's entrapment involved. 
uh, is the first motion we file along with our 995 dismissal motions. Uh, Alex Lyons now also has uh, Attorney Joseph Tully uh, as part of uh, part of the collective and also uh, helping with this case. So I don't think Buchanan is going to like it when we bring and subpoena all our people, and, and that's what we do. Uh, subpoenas, uh, we subpoena uh, not only all the complaints and uh, all, all, all the uh, uh, officers involved. Also, we, we subpoena the good guys, uh, our doctors, uh, 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 experts, collectives, and, and collectives, and uh, so, Alex Lyons uh, is a unique case. Uh, he has uh, waived his rights to waive time. On all the court reports I've been to, I have not seen this. Uh, and it's good in a lot of ways uh, because you can catch uh, the county, the uh, courts with their pants down. Uh, and uh, they don't really, really like to have to go to work. So he's uh, waived wave time. He's going on to jury trial selection on uh, in April uh, 21st at 8:30, and on the 29th at 8:30 a.m. That's number one Court Street in Oroville here. And Court Court is uh, highly requested. He's going to go on to trial, jury trial at 8:30 a.m. Uh, on May 2nd. Uh, well, Tom, it sounds like the, you guys are going to give that courtroom a run for their money. Um, we are down to the last couple minutes here, and I need to get Kristen on. But I wanted to thank you so much for coming on and letting us know what's going on down there in Oroville and Butte County and Northern California. Okay. And, and real quick, like, we also have James Bennell coming up tomorrow morning at, at, at 9 a.m., up in the Oh, James and, Benno. Yes, and his two boys when we talk, not just James Benno, but his two really nice boys. They're they're going for a uh, a settlement conference tomorrow, which we know most of the time nothing gets settled. Uh, J, uh Joseph Tully has joined Benno. He's coming for the Bennos also. Uh also tomorrow morning we have Dan Levine. This is unique. If I can cut to the chase here, uh when we file these injunction lawsuits uh, the, the Board of Supervisors tomorrow morning, at the same time as Benno here in, in Oroville, uh, have scheduled a uh, hearing for uh, Dan Levine to maybe get his $5,400 that was taken illegally when he was busted by Butte County tomorrow morning. So it uh, looks like we're going to have to split court support. We're going to go for uh, Danny tomorrow. Uh, we always point out a course report. Uh, the local 50-mile radius applies if you could come. All, all, all hearings are important for course support. Of course, when we go to trial, that's paramount, and that's when jury nullification applies. And if there's no victim, there's no crime, and you are actually have an obligation to judge both the law and the evidence. And uh, we need to uh, to inform our jurors of their rights uh, to nullify a case. Uh, also, this week, uh, Shelby Lucero, this Friday, uh, we got a busy no. schedule. Uh, uh, actually, uh, yeah, she, she goes up, she's going up for her 30th continuous of pretrial conference uh, 
in Sacramento. That's uh, 929th Street this uh, this Friday, uh, 29th of uh, January 2016. Uh, come for court if you can. Uh, I want to thank you all, uh, uh, and, and, and don't forget to breathe. Come together and you Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Kristen. All right. You have a good one, and don't forget to breathe either, Tom. All righty, Eugene. Well, it looks like it is time to bring up Miss Kristen and Floor. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> there we she like is, you that, Kristen. <laughs> Oh, you guys! I loved I loved the show today, Minnie. You did such a good job. I I was I am impressed, and I was so I meant to take the day off because listeners, I am stressed out. I have to move. I got to do a lot, and I was going to use this morning and this whole day to do some packing and stuff. But I could not stay away. You guys sounded so good, and I was so interested in the show that I just I got to thank you guys, and of course we have to thank CCHI 2016. And we heard that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, uh, interview this morning from Jeanette Perez. And I just want to thank them. Um, as they're trying to get this initiative passed, they are also giving us this beautiful platform for our voice. And it is amazing because it's not just one voice that matters. It's all of our voices getting together, saying the same things is what's going to make a difference. So don't ever um, belittle your voice or what it means to the world because everybody's voice is unique and very, very special. Um, I've heard so many amazing voices on this show today. A few things that stood out to me. Um, one was something that Chris Martin's wife said and that, that's, that the, 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 they said that he looked okay. Um, and then she mentioned that people are dying there. I also noticed something that George, George Monterano, who spent 33 years in prison, said. He said, they're dying, people. Please help us. Okay, and that brings me to my thought about my father, which I'm going to get into that in a second. But, you know, my father just rest, just just went to FBI in the sky, as Eugene and, and, Mar- and George call it. That's when you die in prison. And it was because the things that they said on our show is what happened to my father. But first I want to give you guys some updates about what's going on up here in Washington uh, we have Chris Ramsey, uh, Poppy Sidhu, and Mark Nickerson, who are known as the Bellingham Three. Um, I've been following their case, watching their case, and when I used to have more money, I, I used to drive two hours north just to go to their court cases. Um, I've had my heart wrapped in to seeing these guys go free because they've been facing 30 years, and they were determined to go to trial. However, recently the uh, city of Bellingham, the, they've dropped the charges. So they will not be going to jail, and it's official They've all signed the deals. I'm hoping to have Martin on our show later, but um, in one of these coming episodes, be able to tell us what freedom feels like for the three of them not have to worry about going to jail like all these plant prisoners that we've been talking about. Also, Lance um, still has his ankle bracelet on. He's going to be trying to get it removed soon. Um, I'm going to have more updates about Lance coming up. He was just, just went through a federal trial. He got found guilty of two charges, not guilty on two, so... That was a huge win for him and his family. However, he still could be facing jail time. So we're going to start um, doing more regarding trying to help Lance. Um, I, I I heard something Tom said, and that was your your jury rights, your power to say not guilty. A lot of the prisoners that we talked to, a lot of our people here went to trial. And if just one of the jurors out of 11 of them would have said, oh, this is a terrible law. I don't want anybody to go to jail over no stupid law. And nobody should go to jail for a plant. 
they didn't hurt anybody. They have the power to nullify the law at that time for that defendant. So that means that the law, the law will not apply to that defendant because their conscience says that it can't. So we have the power to save each other. And also, you know, I've seen Lance on Facebook. He seems pretty hurt about all the snitching that was going on about his case. Um, in fact, he's made a couple of Facebook posts about it. So I just want to say we can end prohibition right now. One, of course, by knowing our jury rights. Two, by stop snitching. So stop snitching, stop telling, stop giving the government the information that they need to make these convictions. Because if we all stood together and didn't give them the information, they wouldn't have a leg to stand on. They need each other. They need us to snitch on each other. So that's one thing we've got to stop doing right now. Um, so I would just want to say this was a beautiful show. And I'm going to go into my closing now. Eugene, Mindy, is there anything you want to say before I before I go into the closing? Uh, no, yeah, I'd like much, to... I'd like to make a comment. Uh, I want to tell the listeners and I want to tell both of my co-hosts how much I appreciate. uh, These are wonderful ladies I'm working with, and uh, it's the power of our movement that there are people like them. I love and respect them so much, and they're so pure of heart in what they're doing, and I know that listeners can feel that. Uh, It's been told to me by other people. And I just want to comment that I really, really am proud to be able to be with you both. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you. Thank um, you. Well, yep. Thank you. Thank you, Mindy, for everything you, everything you do. Um, so if you are out there listening, you can go to my Facebook wall and take the vow, which says that you vow to honor our plant prisoners, you vow to help them prohibition, and you vow to be a voice, and that you are going to help in prohibition. So check that out sign it all you need to do is put your name down your email and then we'll send you updates on how you can do that in fact I'm, i've got a whole bunch of updates to send i just got to find the time to do it so in the meantime get your name on there and we will we will you will be part of the vow you will be helping the end prohibition um so thank you cchi before i go we got to say rest in peace to some of our people who cannot be here today uh, to help us end prohibition but these people have passed away and so in my in my eyes, I feel like they are still here. They're just on the other side helping us over there. So I know, like my father, like I don't think he'd ever leave me, especially in the middle of a war when I need him the most. So I feel like he's on the other side, and I just want to end prohibition so he can rest in peace and so that nobody else has to die shackled to a hospital bed because of our plant, or nobody else has to be shot down to death over 20 times. Rest in peace, Gary Shepard, Mary Jane Jones who were raided to over 21 years ago. Why they held their baby in their arms, the government didn't care. They shot them down anyway. Not here now. now Stacy Tice's aunt and uncle. I also want to say rest in peace to Jack Kerr because he educated us about our plant and he taught us that um, all the re- good resources that our plant can use to check out his book, Emperor Wears No Clothes. That will tell you all the reasons why nobody should have to go to jail or die for a plant. I also want to say rest in peace to... To uh, I'm sorry, you guys. I lost my I lost my place here. Peter McWilliams, who wrote us motivational books. Check those out. He 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 fought for a plant and died in prison as well. And Bill Lamorte, who was uh, Eugene's friend, he passed away on the fourth of July. He was serving a life sentence for came out to the yard one day, grabbed his chest, and died from a major heart attack. We don't want to forget about him because he was serving time for us. That could have been any one of us in there, but Bill Lamorte died for it. The plant. 
Also, we want to say uh, rest in peace to Dee Young, who gave us Adam. Rest in peace to Curtis Cecil, who gave it, whose father calls into our show every single Sunday, risk going on prison except for today because he had to go work. Guess what? He doesn't even get paid that much money, less than a dollar an hour, like 50 cents, 20 cents an hour. Why he serves a life sentence for a nonviolent crime, marijuana. His son died while he was in there. Also, rest in peace to Spencer Coptis and Cashy Hyde, who were using the plant as medicine to cure their tumors. Well, when their caregivers got raided, the medicine got, they didn't, were, didn't have access to medicine and they weren't here no more. And also to Bernardo Fumo Martinez for helping us end prohibition on a worldly letter through videos that were being sent around the world. Check his videos out. They're on YouTube. Also, rest in peace to Oscar, who was Eugene and George Monterano's friend when they were in prison. They say he went to FBI in the sky. And rest in peace to all of our prisoners who have passed away that we do not know about. And help us end prohibition so our prisoners can come home and nobody else has to die in prison for a plant or outside prison for a plant. And that means war. And We want the war to be over. We don't want anybody else to die anymore. Have a beautiful Sunday and have check us out next week. We'll have another good show for you. Thank you and thank you, Mindy, and thank you, Eugene.
While they kids education is ruined more Funds spent for spy killing drones While CNN and Patriot commercials breed human drones from home Recording scripted terrorist training in places you can't visit So the real plan of extinction you don't get it. The country surrounding Israel, the holy land is now being in W.O. committed. The war is spiritual, but through the mind, the actions is how they get it. Or should I say distract? They say it's oil, but it's deeper than that. It's just more smoke to the mirror, so I radiate more hope clearer. Shed tears for my peers, the judgment day gets nearer. So I exercise mightier than the sword. Use the pen to paint the lines with conscious mind the world can explore. So maybe you can find out why it brings us to war. Some of the most powerful things of thought that has made of men. Some of the most cowardly shit that's ever known to them. Respect, loyalty, honor, love has all disappeared. And been replaced with gunshots, body bags, cannibalism amongst our peers. You see, we murder by disagreements and we shake hands with our enemies. We shake hands with our enemies and murder our disagreements and put them on a pedestal with some sort of achievement. Being a man is not based on the people you shot or how poor you get fight. Being a man is one who's able to feed his family when times are tight. We are in a recession, suffering with oppression, so lower your Bibles and load your weapons. How many times must we pray before we start losing our blessings? How many loved ones must we lose before we call ourselves a lesson? Reach one, each one, teach one, empower the people. 